Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Go on your way, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Luke 10, verse 3. Good evening and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny and I'm delighted to be with you today to bring you homeschool insights and delights from our household, where God dwells in the very ordinariness of life as we try to stay in the moment while the uncertainty of how long we're staying in England continues to be a question as long as the flat remains unsold. Uh, Am I being reminded about patience again? Each week, I entice an unsuspecting, hugely fascinating person to join me for part of the show. About a 30-minute natter, and together we talk about aspects of family life, which usually relate to homeschooling and always speak straight to the heart of parents who place the responsibility of child-rearing above their highest joy. Joining me again today are Lainey Liberty and her son Miro for the second part of our conversation from Peru started last week. So you won't want to miss a word. First, I'm going to be talking about a new tree I found in the ancient woodlands where I walk, some local caves, an outdoor market in a not too savoury part of town and some first aid advice from a seasoned traveller. I'm drinking tea, and I would pass you a cucumber sandwich and a nice fancy with your Earl Grey, if you're with me in my rose garden. Instead, let's pretend we're having a tea party. As I was trailing around the ancient woodlands last week, I noticed in my path crushed raspberries that looked as though a punnet had been dropped out of a picnic basket. I thought nothing of it until a couple of days later when I passed by and I saw even more soft fruits littering the ground. So I looked up and lo and behold, the ugliest, gnarliest tree in the park in the winter had turned into a magnificent, heavily laden mulberry tree. I told my friend about it from upstairs and she asked if I was going to go and pick any. I suppose I could next time if I remember to take a container with me. The blackberries in the hedgerows are ready for pricking too, and I asked her, do people still go blackberrying? And she said, oh yes, so maybe this weekend that's what my southern gentleman and I will do. You know where they grow the best? Along the railway tracks. But they're going to have to stay there for the birds. I'm not venturing down a siding for anybody's pie. Last week we had a record seven people come through our flat. Surely a decent offer should come after that little spate. My habit is to go for a walk when a prospective buyer comes a knocking. I just don't like people poking around my stuff. And when I returned from my walk yesterday, my cowboy told me a story, and at first I thought he was having me on, but apparently not. There was a couple, their friend, and the estate agent scheduled for a viewing. The first my cowboy heard was a hasty knocking on our front door. The agent was there asking for some Kleenex because one of the ladies had missed her footing and fallen faced first onto the foyer floor. Of course, my lovely gentleman rushed out with damp towels and an ice pack, assisted the lady to one of the chairs and helped her clean herself up while an ambulance was finally called. Her nose was badly cut and her top teeth had penetrated her lip. When he was telling me, I felt so awful that it had happened because she was wanting to look over my flat. I felt dreadful that she'd suffered so badly on what should have been a very pleasant viewing around our lovely place. The following morning, the agent called again and asked if I could show the friend around, which I agreed to, and found out the lady who had fallen had actually broken her nose and had three stitches in it and seven in her lip where her teeth had gone through. Apparently she has a degenerative disease that causes her body to send mixed messages and she thought she'd lifted her foot over the step when she hadn't. Well, we're still waiting on the feedback from the viewing. Personally, I wouldn't want to live somewhere where I'd fallen over the threshold. They all said what a gentleman my blue-eyed Texan had been. But then, tell me something new. Always on the lookout for places to go, my cowboy and I decided to go and take a bus to a nearby town where there are caves last Sunday. It was quite interesting for a sleepy little Kent town, but I'm sure the coronation exhibit at the palace will beat it hands down when we steal ourselves to venture 
into the tourist-filled city to tour the 19 rooms open to the public. Still haven't been inside the palace yet. For a gentle Sunday, the caves at Chislehurst were perfect. They're not natural, and they were hand-hewn over years, hundreds of years, originally for chalk and flint mining. The earliest mention of the caves is around 12, 1250, although the cave promoters like to speculate about Romans and Druids and tell stories about human sacrifices and ghosts. And they were still being worked on in 1830, or mined in 1830. They spanned 22 miles in a honeycomb configuration, and during World War II, they were pressed into service as an air raid shelter for 15,000 people. There was an exhibit of what one of the caves would have looked like with bunk beds crammed close to one another. There was a hospital and even a citizen's advice bureau in operation, so quite a little nighttime community. In the 1960s, a section of the caves was used as a music venue. Sound travels really well down there. David Bowie, Jimi Hendrix, Status Quo, the Rolling Stones and Pink Floyd have all performed there. And in 1974, a lavish media party was held to celebrate the launch of Led Zeppelin's record company, Swan Song Records. The chalky walls were cold to the touch and the ceiling dripped to water. And at one point, we were left in complete darkness for a minute or two. Some of our group cheated and flashed their cell phones, but when they settled down and became more considerate, the darkness was complete and all time stood still. During the war, because of natural air holes in the tunnels, lights were out at 10pm. Either a good night's sleep was had by all, or the eeriness of the place caused restlessness. I don't think I could spend many hours in total darkness, but at least those who sought the shelter were safe from the bombs. And we've had news, thank goodness, from our daughter high-kicking it on the high seas. There's no internet on board, she says. Well, there is for the passengers, but the crew have to pay. So she waits until she can go aboard, off-board, off-board, and find a McDonald's or a coffee shop with Wi-Fi to send emails and talk to us. She's been writing every day, and when she sends us an email, it's long and detailed, which is great. Because she has is the only new dancer, she's learning the dances piecemeal a couple a day, and there are seven different shows with umpteen dances in each. But she was on stage from day two and said the costumes are fabulous, the dancing's real, meaning partnering salsa, tango, ballet, jazz, as well as the showgirly prancing. The food for the crew, she says, is the same every day. Three meat choices, veggies, fruit, mayonnaise is her new best friend, uh-oh. Coffee is Nescafe, instant, which for this coffee snob doesn't appeal, so hot chocolate is substituted. We did find out that because they perform during the dinner hour, they're allowed to eat what the passengers have left. That sounds awful. What she means is anything left on the buffet is available to them after the shows. There are two shows every night, seven nights a week. She's been rehearsing every day, so not being able to get off the ship as much as she'd like. But she says, among all of the changes she's had to go through, the familiarity of rehearsal and performing is what's kept her grounded so far. She felt sick one day when the sea was a bit rough, so she put on her wristbands and went for a nap. So far, she's been to Scotland, Norway and Denmark. And the big news is she shares a cabin with another dancer, has the top bunk, which she really didn't want. But a porthole, that's the best thing, which is level with her bank. So bunk, I mean. So she may change her mind about the top bunk after all. All the dancers except her finish their contract in October. So a whole new group come on with the choreographer. And I don't know what the rehearsals will look like then for that massive changeover, unless they board already rehearsed. Hmm. She says, no one speaks English. It's a Spanish ship and the dancers are Russian or Bulgarian. Sitting at the table during lunch, she just has to nod and smile as they talk to one another in their own languages. But she says for the most part, they do try to speak English for her benefit. That must be tough. Her extra duties involve getting the party started in the evenings. No manning the library or sweeping the deck. And she has to say goodbye at the end of the cruise to everyone. So every seven days or 14 days when... All of the passengers leave. She has to stand there, you know, at the top of the gangplank, wave goodbye. They've had safety drill. They have that every time a new new set of passengers come on. And she goes to her muster station D to hold up a sign. My blue-eyed cowboy and I feel that our mission has been accomplished with her getting a job, cruising the world, dancing and being paid for it. 
Now, as I said before, we just have to sell the flat and then we can get on our way and look for a new house in Texas, maybe by the sea. It's almost time for me to go on my first break. But before I do, let me introduce you again to my returning guests, Lainey Liberty and her son Miro. Lainey was a branding expert in her past life and is no stranger to making her presence known on the Internet and getting her story out there. Her website attests to this and is one of the most informative ones I've found. In fact, you truly could use it as a curriculum. It's brilliant. Go to RaisingMiro.com to find out what I mean. In 2008, California's economy took a turn and Lady decided to be the change instead of the victim of the financial disaster. She and her then nine-year-old Miro began the process of redesigning their lives with the dream of spending stress-free quality time together. After closing her business, selling and giving away all of their possessions, the pair hit the road for a permanent adventure in mid-2009 with their backpacks. Talk about going out like the disciples in my opening verse for charge to do with no purse, no bag, no sandals. As you listen to the conversation, you'll realize that they find friends everywhere they go and don't really need that many possessions with the abundance of human love flowing their way. Four years, 14 countries and many personal changes later, they continue to slow travel around the globe, living an inspired, possession-free lifestyle, volunteering and learning naturally. They're both following their interests on the road, where the planet has been transformed into their classroom. Stay tuned to learn more about this fascinating, unschooling mother and her son. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out marklepinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Right. Last week, Lainey and her son, Miro, were talking to us about their... Um, stay in Peru and they've been out from America traveling for the last four years. They've just embarked on their fifth year. I think it was July 1st. Is that right? Correct. Yes. And um, we were talking last week, we talked about um, where they stayed in Peru and we talked a little bit about, um, well, the greenness of our world and, and the political connotations of um, green living. And today, what I want to do, Lainey, is you taught, you touched on inspiration, how, how um, you travel with inspiration and what, what started um, all of this off. Because a lot of people have inspiration. A lot of people use their intuition as well. But, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are very frightened of doing that because they really, they just don't want to step outside of that box. Did you step outside of your, your box? Absolutely. And this is something that I talk about a lot. And um, inspiration, intuition, and fear is something that I've become um, very acquainted with. It's I've created a, a very strong relationship to those aspects of myself and it guides both Miro and I um, on our travels. When we were in the United States, 
um, before we left, for maybe five, six months before, I started to get this this inner gnawing inside of me that said, you know what, you got to go. There's something to do. There's something to do. And as I sat with it, images, believe it or not, of Costa Rica popped up into my head. And and I had an, a, a vision of climbing a volcano and living in the jungle and, and, and just living very slowly and very simply. And these images were completely contrary to the life that we were living. We lived in a, you know, uh, a loft. We, you know, I owned a business. It was very high, fast paced. There was nothing. We lived in a concrete jungle. There was nothing green about how we were living and these images and feelings were so overwhelming that when I first started to talk to Miro about them, you know, I started to plant the seed by showing him images of jungles like, oh, let's go there. This would be so amazing. But finally, I felt as if I would be sick. I would absolutely be ill if I didn't do something to make a change to follow this inspiration that was starting to guide me and as I sat with Miro we talked about what inspiration felt like we talked about what the inspiration that I was feeling looked like he bought in he he said yeah let's do it and as the time passed as we started to prepare I knew, like I knew I was going to take my next breath, that what we were doing was on path. And I had never known it as clearly as I had known that in my life. It was the most powerful, the most um, satisfying feeling to have not only my son feel the same way, trust that what I was feeling so strongly and powerfully um, was right for him as well as for me you know that that to me in the beginning was so powerful so you did you share these ideas with other friends and family and how did they react if you did we did um during the time that these inspirational feelings were happening um, also, the economy was dying in California, and my business was coming to an end after eight years. A lot of things were culminating, and it felt as if it was the perfect next step. People around us thought, okay, great, do it. Um, our idea then was to, to leave for a year, and somehow that seemed more palatable to the people around us, but still people were filled with fear for us. You know, how, you're, you're going into these third world countries, you're bringing your, your you know, at the time Mira was nine, you're, you know, when you leave a 10-year-old child, you know, you're a single woman, you have blonde hair. You know, what are you thinking? Okay, okay, okay. You know, most of the people, though, in our lives um, knew that if they said, don't do it, um, it wouldn't make a difference anyway, because I always did what I wanted. I I still do. That's kind of who I am. Mm -hmm. I have have somebody else that I talked to, and and, uh, he said, well, we shared our ideas with families and friends, and they almost succeeded in bursting our bubble, so we just stopped talking about it, because he said, in the end, that was what we were going to do, and, you know, the naysayers just make you feel, you know, the, the, the doubt does creep in, but I think, you know, stay strong and do what you feel is right for you it might not be right for other people but it's right obviously right for you and I I had that feeling when I started homeschooling my children everything was against me but I felt every time I thought about it this great peace just washed yes. over me <laughs> so yes yes you know. That's so powerful to have that confirmation from something inside of you that says oh yeah oh yeah you're 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 on the right track you know what you're doing mm-hmm. So when you were younger, did you imagine that you would be where you are today? 
I'm not sure this is what I imagined specifically, but I always knew that my life would be extraordinary. Um, it my my life did not follow a very conventional path anyway, and I always did things a little different. Um, so I'm not really surprised in the people that I've connected with that I grew up with, you know, through Facebook or went to high school with. Nobody's surprised that this is what I'm doing and nobody's surprised that um, this is how I'm living my life. And nobody's surprised at what an extraordinary human being Miro is either. So so who I, who gave you who gave you this? I mean, who is your what family member was your inspiration was it either your parents or a grandparent or I'm not sure I think you know I was born in the 60s um, a child of the 60s and I'm sure my parents influenced the way that I saw the world you know um, they were hippies and and that open mindedness I'm sure was, was one of the biggest gifts however I you know, didn't follow any conventional path. And I think perhaps, I don't know, I don't know, the, the, you know, I was a rebellious teen and, and that, I, it, this spirit was born inside of me. I don't think, it, it just is. It mm-hmm. just simply is. Mm-hmm. Well, you're strong enough to go with it. It takes a certain amount of courage to do what you've done. Again, people, always say where is that courage from how are you so brave and I'm not I'm just simply living my true authentic self I cannot I cannot help but to live that so so maybe it would be courageous of you to sit behind a desk <laughs> and do a yes. 9 to 5 job <laughs> yes yes that's it that's it so you say you volunteer that's that's um, a wonderful way to connect with the people that you're living with. How do you how do you find uh, volunteer opportunities? Your website, by the way, is just fantastic. It's a wealth of information. It's okay. terrific. You can tell. I can tell that you were in that business because although you probably aren't deliberately branding yourself, you are. I, I know that I am. I know that. I mean, once you're a brander, you'll always be but a brander. It's, it's just we'll great because, I mean, yeah. you start over four years, you have built so much on that site, so much information. And so, um, you know, the volunteering, how, how do you do, how did you, how do you find places to volunteer at? How do you decide where to volunteer? Well, our philosophy on life really has been um, allow whatever is going to happen to unfold in front of you. And, and the volunteering opportunities sometimes, most of the time, just landed in, in, in our lap or in our path. There have been a few times we've sought out, you know, ahead of the scheduled arrival of a certain country that we wanted to have something in place. Um, but the more that we trust and the more that we are just okay with living the life that we're living, everything always happens. We meet the people that we need to meet and suddenly we're there volunteering with animals or or we're working, um, you know, with street kids that are um, – uh, learning how to juggle and and clown and do mime work, you know, it just it just always seems to unfold, and we've never struggled to find something. Um, especially, most people that take on this sort of lifestyle don't tend to travel through Europe where it's expensive. They travel through countries that have a higher need. Um, so with some of the third world countries, you'll find more NGOs um, that are, are already in place um, with programs and that are accepting volunteers. But I would uh, – go ahead. I was going to say, do you and Moreau do the same thing? So do you both – does your day when it unfolds, does it ever go separate ways or do you always go the same way? Yes and yes. <laughs> 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 there's there's not a normal. Um, we at times make commitments for periods of time. So when we're making joint commitments, then you know we we um, 
one of the things that's important to us is our word and our commitment. So, of course, we're going to follow through with that. But we also value being lazy. We also value doing nothing. We also value sitting in the square, um, you know, just interacting with people that live in the city. You know, that's valuable, too. So what about your visas? How, how long was your visa for when you first went into Peru? We always travel on tourist visas, and there are there are countries that only allow you to stay for three months, and that would be a three month period over a um, you know one calendar year. And so we know that our time in that specific country is very limited. But then there are other countries that allow you to enter for six months. And then if you leave for a weekend or a week, you can return and renew your tourist visa. And that's how we've been living in Peru. We've been living on a tourist visa. And part of the reason that we're here so long is because it's it's very easy to stay legal and and to renew the tourist visa. And so you um, obviously can't work because you're on a tourist visa. No, we we never work in the country that we um, travel to or live in. I I do all my work online. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you manage to do some work online? All of the work. All of our income comes from sources from our work online. Okay. Okay. That was another thing I was going to ask. You know, you, you talk about... You know, you have you know where to be. You're not rushed. You can just take life as it comes. And I think, well, you know, that sounds like the life of the idle rich. But obviously, you're not <laughs> leaving, leading the life of the idle rich. So, no. um, although you're not living, you know, you're not having to use a lot of money to live. And in fact, three hundred dollars—that sounded quite a lot. Have, have you been to other countries where it's a little bit cheaper to live? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and the food, is the food not too expensive? No, it's it's fairly cheap here. We buy most of our food from the market. We buy fruits, vegetables, grains. Um, sometimes we buy meat, but not very often. Mm -hmm. And we cook. So Miro and I live on a, a combined income of around $1,000 a month. A thousand American dollars a month, and I can manage to earn that, which which I do every month online. So um, I don't have to spend a lot of my time working, but I do have to work a little bit. Yeah, well, of course you do, but you're not you're location independent. Is that that's the saying out there for people who can do that? So that's wonderful. Thank God for the internet, right? Thank God, yes. <laughs> You wouldn't have been able to do this 20 years ago. No, absolutely not. No, no. Well, uh, Lainey, we have to go on a short break. Uh, it's been an absolute joy um, talking to you again. I'm talking to Lainey um, Liberty. She's yes. in Peru at the moment on just starting the fifth year of um, her travel, slow travel around the world with her son Miro. And after these few messages we will be back in just a moment so don't go anywhere how do you handle toddlers teens and tirades when homeschooling that's what we're working on now it's vivian mcnitty the sociable homeschooler and we'll be right back after these Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. 
Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, I'm talking to Lainey Liberty and her son. I promise you, Moreau is there somewhere. Just say hello, Moreau. Hello, I'm here. Yeah, he's he's here. So you have to go back to last week to listen to his wonderful segment because um, unless he jumps in during this little spot, you're not going to hear any more. Maybe I'll ask you a specific question, Moreau, to make you say something. All right. All right. Okay, so I love that you valued being lazy. I think that's great because I always have this vision of people that do that kind of traveling to constantly feel as though they have to be on the go because, oh, my gosh, we've got to see this and, oh, my gosh, we've got to see that. And you've got lots of time to do all of that. So best thing that you've seen on your travels? Oh, my gosh. And, Moreau, I'm going to ask you that question. (laughs) You sit there and think about it while while I put your mum on the spot, so... Boy, well, oh my gosh, the best thing we've seen. Well, I would have to say it's not just one thing. It's been all of the ancient ruins that we've traversed over the last four years. Um, And throughout that, I've discovered I have a passion for learning about archaeology, anthropology, and history, which I never had before. So it's not just one ruin or one civilization. It's all of them. Mm. Moreau? Um, Do you want some I mean, more it's time? Hard. <laughs> it's, it's hard because like, I have to think back over the, everything we've seen in the past four years. So what about in Peru? In Peru? I liked okay, so there's this town called Ica, which is um it's kinda in the, in the desert mm-hmm. and there's this other town within this town called Wakachina and this is kinda like an oasis and there you can go sandboarding on these giant sand dunes. All right. And that's a lot of fun. I think that's my favorite thing. So in you Peru. did that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And so where did you get the sandboards from? Were there people renting sandboards? Yeah, it's uh it's a large uh, tourist attraction. That's oh, why is. everyone goes there. Okay. All right. Yeah, I bet that was fun. I bet that was fun. Was it hot? Oh, uh, not too hot, actually. No, no. I mean, it was dry heat. It wasn't really humid. Yeah. yeah. It was the worst part. All right, Lainey. Talk about <laughs> unschooling. You said it was, um, you were blessed to have accidentally found unschooling. And I love the fact that with unschooling, there's just hardly any structure or no structure at all you go you know your what what interests you is what drives you and you've said your ruins the archaeology the anthropology all of that and so you too are learning so i mean how can you sit in a classroom for however many years you know six years eight years and learn everything that you need to know when there's so much out there that you don't even you're not even exposed to absolutely can I share a, a quick story that happened because I've, I've been absolutely fascinated beyond belief by um, the ancient cultures here in Peru I've been going to site to site and studying them and I've made contact with a lot of the researchers that are living in Peru to see if I can visit or help or or learn from them in certain ways. And one of the researchers that I contacted, his name is Brian Forrester and he was studying the elongated skulls in Paracas, Peru, which is a small town outside of, just outside of Nazca, really. And so Miro and I... um, had had spoken with him we the this is actually the third time we had traveled to visit him and i wanted to photograph all of these elongated skulls um so we devised a, a like a little lazy susan and we brought the tripod for the camera and miro and i took out these skulls that that are anywhere from you know about 600 to 1000 years in 600 to 1,000 years to up to 5,000 years old. And a lot of these skulls are 
elongated by some of the cranial deformations that they're that they used to do here, but there were other ones that some of the researchers said were not deformed that were born naturally and that really feeds into my fascination with aliens but that's a whole other story mm-hmm. uh, but as we're photographing these skulls we did the first day of photographing eight or ten of them and the next day we came back to photograph the next the the last ten of these skulls that morning we came Miro and I came to the um, the museum in the morning and on the door was a bag hanging on the handle of the door of the museum and we waited outside for the museum curator and the researcher that we were working with to open up the door and they took the bag off the door they looked inside and inside was the mummified remains of a head that needed to be unwrapped and looked at and so Here's something we get to experience. Somebody found this mummified head, put it on the museum door. We're there. We get to experience the unraveling and unwrapping of this Mm. ancient head. Mm. So could we have ever seen that or planned that in a, you know, in a, in a school setting? No, but the things that we've experienced, we've walked through these ancient graveyards where there's bones just sitting everywhere. You know, I mean, we've had some incredible experiences that are beyond what a classroom experience or learning from a book would ever offer. Mm. Mm. And, you know, and it's as valuable because, you know, Moreau is learning uh, the joy of learning. I mean, that's what I wanted to teach my children was I just wanted them to enjoy learning and not have it killed for them in an institution, which I think is, is what happens a lot. You know, kids roll their eyes when, they, when you talk about school. But if you're talking about something like his um, crypto... Cryptozoology, and you're talking about your archaeology, your eyes just light up. And that's, you know, you become passionate, and that's what you want to do, and that's that's learning as well. And, um, you know, so your life becomes learning. I mean, it's just just wonderful. And the thing is that if Moreau decides that he would like to go to college and take it a step further, like the writing, get a degree, there's, there's, nothing's going to stop him because he's going to, well, this is what I need and I know I can go find the tools how to learn that and he'll go learn it and apply it and get his degree and that'll, that'll, be, that'll be that. So. Absolutely. And the thing that we've noticed about this style of learning is learning is not separate from life. Mm-hmm. It just happens. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that we're both in agreement um, with is that we're partners. So there's two of us. Sometimes we're we're off doing you know stuff that he's passionate about, and sometimes we're off doing stuff that I'm passionate about. And through each other's interest, we're learning as well. Mm-hmm. So I asked Miro this: What's it like spending all day, every day, with Miro? <laughs> It's the biggest gift. (laughs) He's making the funniest face. But from a parent's perspective, let me tell you, it goes by so fast. I am cherishing all of this. And he's going to be out traveling the world with his friends in no time. I know he is. So for me... I love it. For him, he's a teenager now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I get it. I get it. Mm -hmm. But I love it. I absolutely, I I wouldn't have it any other way. If we hadn't left the United States, I would have missed out on all of this. I'm glad you left the United States. And, uh, I mean, obviously, it's, it's suiting you down to the ground. Do you get visitors? Do people visit you from home? Well, as a matter of fact, we do. We get lots of visitors. Right now, we have four te- no, three teenagers um, who are also unschooled visiting us for a period of five weeks. So um, 
we, Miro and I actually presented at a conference in the spring earlier this year, and we met the families and other teachers, and they were interested in coming to Peru to experience all the amazing things that are available here. And we said, sure, we'll host you. So we've got um, three teenagers and two 20-year-olds here right now. In your apartment? Uh, um, they're actually out. So uh, they're, they're staying in our apartment, yes, in this teeny little apartment. But they're out, so it's not noisy while we have this interview. All right. I was going to say, where are they? I want to talk to them. <laughs> all right, so... We've got about five minutes left, so I want you to tell me about Project Unschool Peru. I know you're not planning on doing that for a few months, so you're still you're going to stay where you are for a little while yet. So tell me about the project that you're going to be doing. Fantastic. Um, Miro and I, when we came to the Sacred Valley, one of the things that we said to each other was this would be the most amazing place to bring other unschoolers because again not separating life from learning we learned so much just by virtue of being here in in Cusco and in the Sacred Valley there's so much history art culture music food um you know uh the, the spirituality there's just so much that you absorb here and when we said that to each other we were living in Lima at the time and Miro said yeah let's do a retreat so a couple months later we moved back to Cusco to organize a retreat and we've been working on um, making the contacts and putting together a program and, and making all of the arrangements project Unschool Peru will take place in November of this year, and it's an invitation for unschooled teens, children, and families to come. And even if you're not unschooled, um, you're more than welcome to come and experience the learning that happens not only by you know, the, the learning that happens here in the Sacred Valley and in Peru, but the learning that happens through a community of engaged, like-minded people that are all... You remember we talked about the buy-in, the buy-in? Yes, well, yeah. when everybody has the same intention to learn, to support one another, and to push the boundaries of of what the learning could be. For example, if we were looking at some of these elongated schools... Maybe maybe uh, there's a teen out there or, um, you know, an adult who had an idea that was never thought of on how, how you know, the heads were elongated or any of the other anomalies or mysteries that haven't been solved. And I think it's worth the conversation. So um, that's what Project Unschool Peru is about. It's a 20-day, uh, 15 15-day retreat. It's um, It includes hikes to all of these sacred sites, culture, um, all and sorts of... And so will of they fun. stay with you there in the apartment? Oh, God, no! No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've arranged a retreat center, and we have yoga, and we have shamans coming to do presentations, okay. and we have okay. artisans and musicians. Okay. No, not, not in this tiny no, that's, apartment. That's why I was thinking, okay, yeah. what are the logistics of this? Are you going to be cooking for everybody? Are you gonna, have you got that farmed no. out? <laughs> no, we, 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 have, we actually have two cooks that are going to be cooking all the meals and we have the transportation because I um, you know owned and ran a business for so long I know how to produce many things yeah, so yeah so the um, the people who are coming pay for their airfare and you know their accommodation and and so there's, there's a certain amount of cost involved and then they get this wonderful hands-on are you going to send them home with like um, oh I don't know a book <laughs> Or um, lots of pieces of paper, or are they just going to take it away on their iPads and iPhones with photographs? 
Well, it's an it's an experience. So we'll be doing hands-on weaving. We'll be doing hands-on making instruments and learning how to play the instruments of the Andes. We'll be going to the the um, ruins. They'll take lots of pictures and have lots of discussions. We'll have um, morning yoga and all sorts of incredible activities. And the way that it's set up is. They need to, if they're coming, they'll, they'll arrange their own airfare, but there is a cost involved in the retreat, and that, that's all inclusive. It includes absolutely everything from the transportation to the, um, from the airport to the hotel to the hotel or retreat center, to all the food, to all the activities, to all the tourist tickets and transportation and materials. So, so it's, it's one all- retreat, one 15 days, one set of people, or, or are you spreading it out? We're doing the first retreat that we're doing will be November 5th through November 20th. And it is, this is the first retreat. So we'll probably schedule another one for the spring. Oh, I see. Okay. So, but any number of people or do you have a limited amount of people? We do have a limited amount of people. The retreat will cannot exceed 30 people because of the retreat center and the housing limitations. Well, you know what, Lainey? I hope you get 30 people and I hope you have 30 people on a waiting list saying if there are any cancellations we want to come because you deserve it. Wow, what a lady. (laughs) Well, thank you. I think it's going to be the most incredible event and and through through all of our travels, what we found is not only learning happens based on your interest and based on being engaged in what you're doing, but it also happens as a result of community. It's such an important part of learning. All right. Give me your website address, and then we'll just have to say goodbye, I'm afraid. I've really enjoyed this. Website address. Fantastic. For Project Unschool Peru, it is projectunschoolperu.com. And the website that Miro and I um, where we share our our passions and, and our daily lives. Um, you could read about what's going on there at RaisingMiro.com, which is uh, RaisingMiro.com. All right. I'm going to have you on my radio pages. I'm going to have links on there, and um, I will be talking you up. Trust me. Oh. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lainey, so much for taking time to talk to me today. And thank you, Moreau, for taking time out to talk to me today as well. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. We are so honored to be a part of your show. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. I know you've enjoyed getting to know Lainey Liberty and her son Miro with me over these last couple of weeks. 
As you heard, they've taken their philosophy of lifelong learning to heart and are producing a family and teen-oriented unschooling retreat in Peru called Project Unschool Peru. Visit their site linked on my Toginet page. I'm going to be catching up with them later in the year to find out how their retreat went, so watch out for that interview. The duo described their greatest accomplishment as the ability to participate in the world without fear. They invite you to follow along as they live the history and culture of foreign lands, encounter amazing people, interact as global citizens, serve as volunteers, and learn naturally along the way. So once again, visit RaisingMiro.com, linked on my Toginet page, or on my Sociable Homeschooler page, as they continue on the road of life. And talking about travelling homeschoolers, I've had a nomadic guest on my show a couple of times, who's a real expert at this whole global travel affair. I'm sure you remember Jennifer Miller and her Adventure.com website. She and her family have just spent 10 months at the equator and are now in New Zealand moving around in a camper, which, if you remember, the mama bus is in a mode of transportation that is new to them. Jennifer and her husband, Tony, homeschool their children as they travel with an eye to providing them with all the tools they need should they choose to go to university. Formal school comes first, then the world takes over. Jennifer's website is very informative, and I asked her if I could quote copiously from it this week about what she and her family do for health and first aid on the road, and she said, of course. I thought you'd be interested to hear how very careful they are and realise that although they may sound fearless and fancy-free, most travelling families do consider the risks and dangers before embarking on world trips with their precious cargo. Here's what Jennifer has to say about health care. Obviously, with six of us, varying in ages from five when we took off travelling to 40 now, healthcare is something that happens while we're moving. So do emergencies from time to time. So here is the breakdown of how we make it all work on the road over the long haul. Insurance. Yes, we have it. We have a traveller's policy that covers emergency healthcare and things like dental and vision with a $100 deductible. It doesn't cover pre-existing conditions or pregnancy. It does cover our gear, trip interruption or protection and expatriation of remains as well as medical evacuation. We know plenty of people who travel without this type of insurance, but we don't recommend it. One true emergency and you'll be glad you have it. Immunizations. This becomes a hot-button issue, I know, and I'm not about to start any big debates or offend anyone. Growing up with a polio-affected daddy, I see things pretty firmly from my position, and yes, I've read widely on the anti-vaccine side, vaccine side too. We immunise our kids. We don't necessarily subscribe to every new vaccine that comes down the pike. We opted out of chickenpox, the flu, and the HPV shots, for example. But we do vaccinate for the classics and for the life-threatening things. We also immunise for the regions we travel in. Doctor's visits, or dental, or vision, or chiropractor visits, all are necessary from time to time. <coughs> we found it quite a simple matter, both within the US and abroad, to arrange these visits anywhere that we're going to be in, on a stay for a week or more. I check with my fellow travellers and look for recommendations, and I make use of some of the doctor ratings and recommendation sites out there. If I can find a first-hand recommendation from someone I know, that's my first preference. I just call ahead, explain our situation and make an appointment. We've had dental cleanings and repair work done in Guatemala, Austria and Bali, Indonesia and the US. We've had vision appointments in, the, in America, Thailand and Indonesia. We've visited a chiropractor in Indiana. We've had emergency care in the US, Guatemala and Thailand. Our general recommendation, especially outside the first world, is to make use of private hospitals and Western-trained doctors over the public hospitals any time you can. Anti-malarial pills. This can be another controversial topic, to take them or not to take them, to take them along as an after-the-fact treatment, to give them to kids. You'll need to do the research and make your own choices. There are maps on the CDC website that break down recommendations by region we take the pills. We've never had anyone react badly to them. And for us, the risk of becoming deathly ill outside of easy reach of medical care along the Mekong in Laos, for example, is not one we're willing to take when there's an option to avoid it. People do still die of malaria, lots of them. 
That being said, <clears throat> we've never had to take pills for more than a couple of months at a time. There are implications for long-term use, which bear looking into as well. It's also worth mentioning that there are different medications for the different strains of malaria, and it's important for you to take the appropriate one. Preventatives. First, let me say that we have a three-pronged approach to healthcare at home and abroad. Staying well, treating illness and emergency care. I'll share what we carry with us for all three. Staying well. This includes eating healthy food, getting plenty of sleep and decent hygiene. Tony swears by our local beer every night to populate his gut with the appropriate local bacteria. Of course, we don't test this on the kids. We carry with us kefir grains for their probiotic benefit, brewed and consumed daily. Sprouting seeds, lots of vitamins and nutrients in sprouts to boost health. Yogurt and cheese cultures. Yes, we make our own yogurt and cheese as we travel. Grapefruit seed crush extract for gut health, natural antibiotic and as a fruit and veggie wash. We also carry the following supplements from Be Youthful, Beautiful, actually Be Youthful, Ultra Immune, Super Mum Vitamins, Super Dad Vitamins, B Immune, Spirulina. Treating illness. Anyone who's travelled much will tell you that virtually everything you need can be had anywhere you go and sometimes much less expensively than at home. This is true. What is also true is that when you most need it is often the time it's least convenient to go on a hunt for it. To that end, we carry a pretty extensive medical kit for treating basic illness, including, but not limited to, ibuprofen and paracetamol, Tylenol with codeine, Percocet, prescription migraine meds, Ralpac, she says, antidiarrheals, azo, antifungal cream, Benadryl, albuterol inhalers, cough and common cold meds, camphophenic, two full prescriptions of antibiotics. And she said she can get them prescribed by her doctors in America, but very often you can buy them over the counter in uh, third world countries. Ear oil, anti-nausea meds. And emergencies. She carries the following for emergencies. Band-aids and bandages of all sizes, chemically activated cold packs, electrolyte replacement powders, triple antibiotic creams, burn spray and colloidal silver burn cream, blister and burn bandages, a needle kit including syringes and IV start, suture kits. Jennifer says, we've had some criticism on those last two items. It seems that some people think that we're a little bit over the top for carrying a stick kit and suturing sorry, supplies. And one person even intimated that it was irresponsible for us to suggest that others should carry something they aren't trained to use. Let me explain. We are carrying them because we found ourselves in a situation where we needed a kid stitched up in Guatemala and the healthcare centre didn't have a suture kit. They didn't have butterfly bandages either. They ended up field taping Elisha's hand up and giving him a round of antibiotics, which I'm not a big fan of, to ward off infection. I'm carrying the needles, etc., so that I can take them with me for the doctors to use, not because I'm going to stitch my own kid up in the forest instead of seek proper care. Although, if it came down to it, I'd do my best in an extreme situation. I realised the day that we didn't have what we needed to put Elisha back together, that we were very lucky it wasn't more seriously. I realised that in an extreme situation. If I had the choice between a dirty needle or the potential death of a kid, I'd gamble on the dirty needle. The reality is, if I'm better prepared, I'll never have to make that choice. The needle kit was immediately added to our bag. Well, I hope you found that informative and please do go to Jennifer's website link on my radio show page at thesociablehomeschooler.com. She also writes an informative blog and would love to hear from you or meet you if your path ever crosses with hers. And that's me for another week. Down to the pub for half for me. It's been a communicative week, week with news from Dorts and chats with all the other children. Hopefully next week I'll have some news of a flat sale to report, perhaps. Or will I be saying that for months to come? I'll be back, same time, same place next week with more adventures from London. That's Friday at noon in Texas or 6pm here in Merry Old. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight. Our four children who are the result of that belief. 
Don't give your little charges too many magical ideas, Perry Poppins. The hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my guests this week, Lainey Liberty and her son Miro, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Rosemary, Kathleen, Jane, Olivia, Esme, Millicent, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Just stay tuned in all the time and catch lots of great shows to glide you through your day. Take care and be safe. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenny. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.